Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and I'm a PT assistant. Today, I'm interviewing Rick Olderman, who is a physical therapist, and I'm going to ask him different shoulder and arm pain questions that you, our audience, had for him. Things like rotator cuff or forearm injuries, even upper trap issues. So without further ado, here is Rick. Uh, welcome back, Rick. Thanks for joining us again. Great to be here again, Mike. Thank you. Today we're going to be talking about shoulder and arm pain. So we have questions from our viewers. And our first question is actually from a therapist. So they say, I'm a therapist who works with athletes. Here it's overhead athletes. What are the best stretches and treatments for sore shoulder complexes? All right. Well, this is a, I'm so happy that we got a question from a therapist. That makes me really happy. Um, this is really interesting because just this morning I was uh, answering uh, a reporter's question about the serratus anterior. So this, this will play into this quite a bit. So it's important to understand that when we move our arm away from our body, the, 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 the foundation of all of that movement is the shoulder blade. All right. And if you look at the architecture of the shoulder blade, you'll see that it's a broad flat bone. There's only a one other area in the body that has a bone like this. And that's our pelvis. And we all know that the pelvis is the center of function for our back, pelvic, and lower body system. Likewise, the shoulder blade is the center of function for our upper body system, neck, and head. All right. So there are rules about how the shoulder blade should be resting and moving. I won't go into all of those rules. But in, in overhead motions, one of the things that should be happening is that the shoulder blade should be rotating 60 degrees. Now, clinically, what I have found is that uh, if I can get someone to 40 or 45 degrees, that's enough to have pain-free overhead motion. But 60 degrees of upward rotation of that shoulder blade is ideal. So what I was first say, say is, hey, is this person getting 60 degrees of upward rotation? And I would guess if they're a therapist, they're probably working with someone who's uh, had surgery. And uh, if they've had shoulder surgery, what often happens is our focus in therapy is to get the arm mo mobility up and going, but very few of us seem to be focusing on the scapular portion of that mobility. So if we think of the arm as having 180 degrees of ideal movement, I mean, I wish I had that, I don't, but uh, 120 of that should be coming from the shoulder joint itself. 60 degrees of that should be coming from the shoulder blade. So Usually this is where the problem is happening is that the shoulder blade is not going through its elevation and upward rotation, which then causes the arm bone to bump up into the top of the acromion too excessive, too soon. The other thing that it causes is that if this isn't moving, then we rely on the rotator cuff and deltoid muscles to do the arm lifting. That then causes more tendonitis issues in the, sh in the shoulder area because it's overcompensating for the lack of mobility that's occurring here. So that would be, I, I bet you this is probably the problem and it, it's most common after shoulder surgeries. One of the reasons, and I mentioned this at the beginning is because I find that after surgeries, the serratus anterior, so the serratus anterior is this really weird muscle. It starts along all of these vertebrae right here and it goes, underneath the shoulder blade and inserts along the back border of the shoulder blade here. It's the muscle that's responsible for the upward rotation of that shoulder blade when the arm bone is moving. And this is what I found is after surgeries or trauma to the shoulder of any kind, the serratus anterior tends to 
it seems to lock down the shoulder blade and prevent it from moving because it's trying to protect the shoulder girdle system. All right. But as we come out of that acute injury or surgery or something like that, we need to try and coax that movement back into the serratus anterior again. And so I, I've developed a nice nifty mobilization technique to get that to happen. But to do that without a manual technique, one of the easy ways is if you get someone on their hands and knees on the floor and their hands are here on the floor and then they sit back on their, on their heels with their knees bent, what that's going to do is it's going to relatively pull the arms up overhead and it starts to get the shoulder blade to move the way it should without actually asking the muscles to do the job. It's just the arms are essentially going to be pulling the shoulder blade into that upward rotation and elevation. And that starts to restore normal scapular movement. And then uh, what you can do eventually once that scapular and you can assist with your hands, too, as a therapist to help that scapula move the way it's supposed to. All right. And then uh, what you can do is gradually, once that motion gets more no normal, then you can use the legs to add resistance to that system. So now as you're rocking back, the legs are pushing forward. So your arms actually have to push your body back, which engages that upper, that serratus anterior in the upward, uh, upward rotation and elevation motion that's designed to do. And it starts to strengthen that, that, that system while you're also getting the movement that it's supposed to go through. So that would be my, my general answer is to look at the scapular landmarks and fix those. Cause that's like, and if the landmarks are off, it's usually a serratus anterior issue. So once someone's healed up, could they like just hang from like a pull-up bar and get the same type of stretch? Well, you can, but if that serratus is locked down, so this is the other aspect of shoulder motion is that there's a timing issue. So after the arm gets to be about uh, 60 degrees or, or so of movement here, there's a two to one humerus to scapular ratio of time that should be occurring. So uh, if this isn't occurring, what's, what's typically happening is that, oh, I'm glad you brought this up, Mike, because this is a really common thing. So what happens is that after a surgery or something like that, when the arm comes up the, and you see lots of scapular motion, well, that's because the arm muscles, the teres minor and infraspinatus, are pulling the scapula along rather than the serratus anterior pushing the scapula along. So by hanging, what you're doing is, yes, you may be pulling that scapula forward, but you're not teaching the muscles to do the motion that it's supposed to do. And this is a, another really common thing is that I'll, I'll see oh yeah, gosh, this person has a 60 degrees upward rotation. And I look at the timing and it's a one-to-one -one relationship. And if it's a one-to-one -one relationship between the arm bone and the, and the shoulder blade, it's telling me that uh, this uh, rotator cuff muscle, these rotator cuff muscles are locked and they are not changing. And so that it's, it just moves, you know, with the arm bone. That's the only thing that's making the scapular move instead of the scapular muscles making them move. Sure. Hmm. I learned a lot when I ask you questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next topic is frozen shoulder. So what are the best exercises to help a frozen shoulder as it thaws or to prevent one from when it's on its way to freezing? Yeah, gosh, frozen shoulder. So folks, frozen shoulder is, is also called an adhesive capsulitis. So there's a, 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 a sac that surrounds the shoulder joint here. 
and in frozen shoulder, what that and that sac is called a capsule. And so what happens is the capsule freezes up or becomes tight and prevents shoulder motion. And it typically prevents shoulder motion in a, in a pattern. So the worst motion uh, that occurs is that you can no longer reach behind your back anymore. This is internal rotation of the shoulder joint. That's the most aggressive form of shoulder mo motion. All right. The second most restricted motion becomes this external rotation where you're bringing your arm out from your body. And then the third is shoulder flexion like this. So if your pattern, if your shoulder is restricted in these patterns, this one is better than this one. And both of those are much better than reaching behind. You, you may have a adhesive capsulitis or frozen shoulder issues going on. So the thing is, no one really understands why adhesive capsulitis or frozen shoulder is occurring in the first place. So it's difficult to prevent it. So, um, and it seems to happen in women more than men. So they believe that there's an estrogen component to this, but I, I really truly don't know. So uh, frankly, well, I, I haven't found much that's, that's gonna slow frozen shoulder loss of motion down. If it's in the stages of a process of freezing, and this could take months where you gradually lose more and more motion over, over a period of months. I, I really haven't found anything that's gonna irritate, or I'm sorry, that's gonna, prevent that from happening uh, or slow that down. Uh, and one of the things I get most concerned about is that if we aggressively try to prevent this from occurring, then what we're gonna do is cause more irritation to the shoulder system, which will cause the capsule to contract even more faster. And that's why, you know, I just give people gentle motion exercises in all of these planes of motion, you know, and just teach them, look, you've, you're gonna, Go through this loss of motion, expect it, try to keep as much as you can, but don't do it too aggressively because you may actually cause more lack of motion because of you irritating the whole system in the first place. So I'm sorry, I wish I had some, some miracle exercises for you, but, but I don't. Now, uh, as you're coming out, so frozen shoulder naturally occurs, you know, usually for about a year, people will go through this. Sometimes it's two years, sometimes it's six months. It just really depends on the person. But what you'll notice is that gradually some your, your shoulder uh, capsule will start to thaw. And again, the same exercises you would, you would I would go for the shoulder flexion exercises first or, or slightly out away from center like this. That's where the things, your shoulder joint will move more freely. Start there, right? With, and you can slide your arm up the wall. You can do a, a you know, rubber band that pulls your hand up and then you pull it back down and it pulls you back up again to get that motion. So you don't have to use those shoulder motions. You, should, you could use a cable system at your gym where the, where the cable is pulling the hand up and then you pull it down and it, and it pulls you up again. So this would be the first motion I would try to go after. Then as you feel better, I would go after this motion and then find, and you can do that if you hold on to like a doorstop and your arm is like this, and then you can rotate your body away from that hand. That will start getting that motion. And I like moving the body away from the hand instead of moving the hand away from the body. Because if you move the hand away from the body, and this goes for this one too. If you move the hand away from the body, it, it activates all of your rotator cuff muscles and so forth that are feeding into the capsule, right? And so if, if we're activating all of that, then we're kind of defeating the purpose. But if you move your body away from the hand, it keeps those muscles more relaxed and the capsule more relaxed and you can get better motion like that. 
So moving the body away from the hand in terms of the overhead motion, you would hold on to like a refrigerator door or something like that, and then just simply bend your knees, which then causes the arm to go move up for you. So you would just do something like that. All right. And then of course the back of the motion, this will be the last one. I, I don't even attempt it initially because it's just so painful for so many people. It's not worth even pursuing. So this is the interesting thing I've, I've learned from frozen shoulder. Um, I have a class four laser uh, therapy uh, laser at my clinic. And uh, I have found I've had, a, I've only had a couple frozen shoulder patients that I've been able to use it with, but they have gained immediate and significant range of motion increases and pain relief. And by the way, these are frozen shoulder people who are starting to come out of the adhesive capsulitis stage rather than going into it. But uh, using the laser on, on this has really increased the range of motion and decrease in pain significantly. So what does this tell me? Well, so the, the thing about the class four laser is that um, it's, it's, at a, uh, it's at a wattage that causes the body to produce nitric oxide. Well, latest fascia research, and I don't know if Robert Schleep talked about this in his interview with Bob or not, but latest fascial research shows that fascia relaxes in the presence of nitric oxide. So this is why I believe the laser was helping the frozen shoulder because it is a capsular or, or there's a fascial component to this. And so the laser causes the fascia to relax, thereby releasing its grip on the shoulder joint. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of that. I guess for our listeners, the laser light, I'm guessing yours just has like a wand, kind of looks like an ultrasound machine. Is that what yours kind of looks like? Yeah, so their class four, I think, is the most powerful class on the market right now. I, I, I've experimented with class three lasers. There's class three and 3B and so forth. Uh, but those aren't nearly, it seems, powerful enough to get the nitric oxide production in the body and to make deeper changes to the tissues in, in the body. Is it a red light or it's, it's red light. Yeah. Okay. I thought, I thought Almost all lasers are red light. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next question. This one's a long one. This is a pretty specific one too. So this person says I had a hard impact to apex of my shoulder three months ago. The x-rays of the shoulder shows there is a mild acromioclavicular joint degeneration and degenerative changes were seen in the glenohumeral joint. I have been doing recommended exercises since the injury. I have good movement, but often severe sharp pain from simple light movements. Any suggestions? Yeah, so uh, again, what I have found in therapy is that most therapists are missing uh, getting the shoulder blade to move well. All right. There are rules about how this thing should be resting and moving. And I, I found, in fact, almost all of the therapists that I trained at my own clinic, none of them knew what the rules were or how they had a, a basic understanding of how things should move, but it wasn't specific enough to solve shoulder issues. Once they learned how to move the shoulder blade correctly and get that operating correctly, shoulder dysfunctions really melted away rather rapidly. So if you have a, a, so what this person is describing, if we look at the shoulder blade, here's the, here's the collarbone and it meets this part of the bone of the, of the shoulder blade. All right. This is the acromioclavicular joint. And so they have degeneration of that joint there. 
And when they mention their glenohumeral joint, well, that's just simply the shoulder joint. So they have some general, it seems, degradation of something going on in that shoulder joint. And they're talking about uh, intermittent periodic pain when, when just moving their arm. All right. So, well, the primary muscle that's involved with initiating that movement is the rotator cuff muscle, which starts here on the, on the shoulder, on the scapula, and it runs through this little cave in the scapula where the chromioclavicular joint is, and then it, the rotator cuff attaches here. So my guess is that they're getting a, 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 an impingement that's occurring where their first motion is pulling the shoulder blade uh, or pulling the arm bone up and pinching that. So if we look at traditional rotator cuff strengthening, the kind where you know, you're doing things like this with a band, uh, th that's strengthening the infraspinatus and teres minor muscles. And what those help do is help pull the head down in the, in the shoulder socket so that it doesn't impinge on the top of the shoulder. So if your therapist hasn't been doing those for you or you haven't been doing your exercises at home that your therapist asked you to do, I'm going to guess that might be part of the problem. All right. However, if we remember that uh, the, the shoulder blade is half of the shoulder joint. So if the arm bone is moving, but the shoulder blade is not, then you're again, you're going to be bumping up into that shoulder joint too soon. And this sounds like maybe what's going on here. So again, if, if you get down on your hands and knees on the, on the floor, keep your hands where your shoulders are and just sit back on your, on your knees. What that's going to do is it's going to start pulling the shoulder blade in the motion that's supposed to occur when you're actually upright and raising your arms overhead. So this would be an exercise I would recommend doing is to start getting the shoulder blade to unlock. I'm going to assume that it's not moving correctly because few therapists seem to check it. All right. And, and, and solve these problems. So this is the easy way to get that to happen is to just, just get on your hands and knees and rock back and get the, and what that will do is start to get the shoulder blade moving. And, uh, and then uh, that pain should probably go away. So what would be really interesting, I always like to do test retest. So if you, if there's a consistent activity that you do with your arm, like, Oh yeah, every time I do this, it hurts that shoulder. All right. Well, do like five reps of these where you're rocking back and then go back to that test again and see if that still hurts your shoulder. I can almost guarantee that that pain will go away if you if you uh, do this exercise, because you're now getting half of the shoulder joint to move the way it was supposed to. And it clears. But when this upwardly rotates, it opens up the whole shoulder joint so the impingement doesn't occur anymore. When someone's doing the prayer stretch, should they be pushing down through their hands to get some distracting? I only do that uh, when we're trying, when we're getting into the strengthening aspect of the serratus anterior. Okay. So initially I have people do it passively because I need to know, A, can you do this without hurting yourself, right? And then usually the, a lot of people will feel significant stretching going on there. So we work through all of that stretching and get the mobility to occur. And then I test to make sure that the scapula is moving well. And then I'll, I'll help the scapula uh, in that motion too, if it needs it. And once I'm sure that all of that is moving the way it's supposed to and their pain is diminishing, then I add the resistance with the legs, you know, to start strengthening that system like that. Sure. If someone can't get on their knees they do it like on a countertop or something? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So you can do this sitting at your desk. 
You can do it at your kitchen countertop. You can even like if you open up a door and hold a handle on each side of the door and then lean back uh, away from that door and, and kind of go into that motion, that will also do the same kind of thing for you. Yeah. So I guess if you're not steady, you can use a rolling chair like me and just. Yeah, roll, perfect. Roll, just roll like that. Back. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question is a torn rotator cuff. So this person says, I have a torn rotator cuff, been to physical therapy for several weeks, had last visit last week, does not seem much better, trying to avoid surgery. Any suggestions? Well, uh, this kind of goes back to that other question about the impingement that this person was feeling here. So if you remember, the, the first of all, the rotator cuff runs from the inside of the shoulder blade all the way through this little cave here to the arm bone. It's not the only rotator cuff muscle. There are four of them, all right? And sometimes if you have a tear in one, it means that you have perhaps a tear in or more in one of the others too. It's not uncommon. So if, if you, we know that the rotator cuff is inserting at the top of the arm bone here, one of the things that could be, and usually the rotator cuff is tears happening somewhere in, in this region. Usually what's happening is that that arm is hiking up prematurely and re-tearing or irritating that tear that's there, causing it not to heal. Why would that be happening? Well, A, because the other rotator cuff muscles, for instance, the infraspinatus and teres minor, aren't depressing the arm bone the way it should be uh, doing. And I'm sure that you've probably been doing all of these. If you are, good job. The uh, second reason is because the shoulder blade isn't moving out of the way of the arm bone when the arm is moving. So the shoulder blade should be rotating 60 degrees ideally and elevating with when the arm is moving away from the body. If it's not doing that, then the arm is going to bump up into the top of that shoulder joint prematurely and, and re-tear or cause irritation to that tear. So again, that hands and knees stretch, stretching back like this, can go a long way to restoring the scapular mechanics to offload the rotator cuff. All right. So initially that might be painful. I wouldn't recommend moving into pain because that pain is indicating that you're bumping up into the tear. So if you can do that pain free, great. But if you can only go back this far, then just start with that far and go from there. You can also do this on a wall. If you put your hand on the wall and usually I have the pinky side against the wall and you slide the arm up like this, this also starts to engage that shoulder blade system to start pushing the arm up instead of your rotator cuff muscles pulling the arm up. So that would be two exercises I would start to recommend with. And also if you have your hand here, that's going to be more impingy than if you have your hand out to the side a little bit. Like I think scaption is what, 30 degrees out to the side, Mike, is that right? Uh, Something like that. 30, 45. Yeah. 30, 45, somewhere around here is less impingement oriented than a, than a motion straight up here. And this is too far. So it's somewhere in between those two and different people have different sweet spots that they like better. So play around with that, but sliding the arm up on a wall, or when you're doing this, have your hand out to the side a little bit more as you're doing that to get it into a better range of motion to start coaxing that scapula out of its uh, perhaps locked position because the scapula gets locked down with shoulder injuries. The serratus anterior, which is controlling the shoulder blade, tends to adhere to the trunk because it's trying to protect this. So it needs to be coaxed out of its 
little uh, protective spasm. I'm going to have my parents try these. They both have uh, kind of impingement-like issues. They're functional yet, but... It's very helpful. Yeah. They've never tried the uh, prayer-type stretch stuff. Oh, yeah. And then one other thing, especially uh, if you have really tight chest muscles, well, the chest muscles attach to the front of the arm bone here. And so what they do if they're tight is they cause the arm bone to be internally rotated. Well, our shoulder joint doesn't like internal rotation. If you try to lift up your hand with your pinky side up to the ceiling, that's maximum internal rotation. And even me just doing this, you can see my shoulder just jams, right? It doesn't like that. So your chest muscles are one of the muscles that cause that to be excessively internally rotated. So stretching the chest muscles, maybe by lying on your back on the ground, just having your hands out to the side and doing a little floor angel, like a snow angel kind of motion can start to open up your chest muscles and release the internal rotation force acting on the, on the arm bone, which will again, cause it to be less impinged as the arm is raising. So this person says, I want to strengthen my shoulders, but every time I exercise them, I get a bad headache. I believe it's from my neck muscles. Any tips are appreciated. Yes. Okay. Well, you're partly right. Gosh, this is a great question because it, it's the hidden secret of neck pain, really. And the hidden secret of neck pain is that it's because of the shoulders. So the reason your neck is getting, there's, there's a couple different reasons why your neck is getting irritated. Again, it goes back to the shoulder blade. The, blade, the shoulder blade is the center of function for all the whole upper extremity uh, system. All right. So if the shoulder blade is not rotating and elevating when you're moving your arm uh, with your exercises, then what will take over is a tiny muscle called the levator scapula, which starts at the corner here and inserts into C1 through 4 of your cervical vertebrae here. So levator scapula, levator means elevate. Its job is to help lift the shoulder blade. Well, the serratus anterior is a much bigger muscle that's its primary job is to upwardly rotate and lift the shoulder blade. If we're not getting that serratus anterior to turn on and do its job, this little pinky guy has to do all the work. And that's where the neck pain is coming from. It's assisting the big guy and the big guy isn't doing its job. And now you've added a load to the whole system too. And for instance, I think I read a physics uh, paper where if we just raise our, raise our arm up without any load, I think it's multiplied by 70 at the shoulder joint. So zero pounds in your hand is 70 pounds at the shoulder joint. One pound is seven is, you know, 70. And then, you know, two pounds is like 90 or 140, something ridiculous like this. So the lever arm of our arm bone, right, is magnified at the shoulder joint. Well, if the muscles of the shoulder joint aren't doing its job, that is further magnified into that levator scapula and it's, uh, insertions into the cervical bone. And this is frankly why we get a lot of, um, I, I believe, when you get diagnoses of cervical arthritis, foraminal stenosis, bone spurs, osteophytes, compression, disc degeneration, headaches, all sorts of things like that are actually caused from poor scapular function for this very reason. So for you, what I would say is start with that all fours rocking stretch, get the shoulder blade to move better, then go to the arm slide on the wall. Make sure that you're getting that shoulder blade to push the arm up. Then step away from the wall and do it without any weight and get that whole system working. 
then you can start putting weights in there. And that should probably start taking off all the stress from your neck anymore, because now you've got the shoulder, the serratus anterior participating instead of just that tiny little levator scapula. Do you think a lot of the shoulder problems are from poor posture and chronically being flexed over? I, I think that's part of the reason, but that doesn't explain why the serratus anterior never gets turned on. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, well, in some way, I think you're absolutely right, Mike, because, you know, no longer do we do things overhead anymore, like farming or any other things, right? We're always on our computer where our hands are lower than our shoulders. It's only in a gym that we do something overhead, you know, unless you're an overhead athlete already. So um, I, I think that's one of the things that's leading to the shutting down and dysfunction of the whole scapular system. Huh. I didn't. I got to tell Bob. <laughs> he, uh, he, he doesn't do a lot of, he doesn't like a lot of overhead shoulder stuff, but that's, I mean, that's kind of his older approach, but. Yeah. So a lot of, well, he's absolutely right. If the shoulder system isn't prepared for overhead work, suddenly doing overhead work is absolutely the wrong reason. So you've got to get the shoulder system to work better before you throw it overhead work. Yeah. That's yeah. true. So I did notice like a lot of overhead stuff. If I do like, I, I am normally in a scaption plane. I can't, I don't like to be fully abducted. It just, I mean, yeah. I just ram up into my acromion process there. Yeah. So, you know, what I would say is, I, I, I mean, if you can get through life without needing that range of motion, then that's great. But if, if you're going to start playing baseball, you're yeah. going to have to have that motion, right? So what I would say to approach that restriction would be to first do it in an unloaded way. So uh, you could do the uh, lying down on the ground with the chest stretch like we had just talked about, right? Or you could put your arm against the wall and rotate away from it and get that arm to work in this position. You could do the, the hanging stretch a little bit and then rotate away from that to stretch it away from your body and then come back in. And once you feel that that motion is improved, then you can start adding load to that. Okay. Yeah. I also noticed, uh, I have a very clicking middle trap whenever I like, if I row at all, it just, every time my one side is just clicks to click on me. Okay. Well, this is the, this is the other thing that I found with, um, sh chronic shoulder dysfunction, neck pain and headaches is that the mid trap is actually dysfunctional. And so I've developed a precise way to identify and strengthen that. But usually the lower trap is very strong, right? Because mm -hmm. we're doing lap pull downs and a lot of people engage the shoulders like this to create good posture. So that's all engaging that lower trapezius system. And then the upper trap is engaged really well because we're always doing, you know, shoulder flies and developing our upper traps and things like that. But there's nothing, even rows aren't really getting the mid-trap system I've found. And so uh, this is the other thing. I believe that the mid-trap is working in concert with the serratus anterior to guide the shoulder blade from both directions and create strength. I've just found a lot of neck pain, chronic shoulder issues. Uh, if everything else is working, often it's because the mid-trap isn't working well. Once we get that guy online, a lot of this stuff melts away too. Everyone has these problems, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a weird system in the body because the shoulder girdle is a floating system, right? And so it's, it, we don't have compression 
holding all, all the stuff together like we do in the legs. Yeah. Have body weight that helps, you know, create joint stability and compression. It's a floating system. And so, and, and the arm is away. And, and, and especially if you add load to that, from a physics standpoint, you're just generating tremendous stresses at the shoulder joint, putting load in the hands. And if the whole system isn't floating well, and it kind of floats on the rib cage. So if the rib cage is depressed, then your whole shoulder system's right off the bat, you know, gonna not operate well too. So, you know, it's it's a it's a unique system in the body. Yeah, it's a whole chain. Yeah. Okay, next question from a viewer. This person is a 51-year-old male. One year ago, I was lifting weights and injured my right arm, had an MRI, and was told that I have a 60% tear in the bicep. Are there any exercises that I can do to keep my arm from turning into a noodle arm? <laughs> uh, well, again, um, you know, there's two biceps. And I'm not sure which one is injured. So, um, uh, you know, this would be a, a, doc, a question for your doctor or physical therapist who I hope that you're working with to, to work through this. Um, you know, a 60% tear is a pretty big tear. Um, I, I wonder if he's had that, if, if, if it's been, you know, six or eight weeks since the tear, I wonder if they've had a second MRI to determine whether that tear is healing or not. That, um, that would be the guide that that's the guide as to what kind of stress to add to that, that problem. Right. Yeah. Healing. They said they had it a year ago. Yeah. So, I mean, so, now they'd have to get another one done. Right. Yeah. So if it's been a year, I, I would first get the biceps MRI again to assess the status of that tear. I mean, a bone heals in six to eight weeks. Tissue tears typically heal in six to eight weeks if there's no stressors acting on them. So if it's been a year and you have a 60% tear still and it hasn't healed, uh, then you may need to get that surgically repaired. Uh, or, you know, a lot of people do well tearing one of their biceps and never getting it repaired. Uh, it really depends on the what you're using that arm for. But that that I, I I'm just reluctant to give you a specific exercise because I don't know whether that is a healing tear, whether it's a non-healing tear, uh, and the dynamics that you're using that have caused the tear. These are questions that you need to talk to your doctor or physical therapist about. Yeah, I, most doctors just say if it doesn't hurt, like don't worry about it. I mean, if you have a full tear. Yeah, if you, if you have absolutely so a sixty percent tear, I'm assuming that they're trying to get that thing to heal. Uh, you know, you need to determine if it's healing first. I, I wouldn't want to add stress to that system. If it's that, you know, now a 10% tear, I'd hate to say, oh yeah, just start with some biceps and then you re-tear the whole thing after you've waited a whole year for it to heal. But if it's still at 60% after a year, uh, then I, I would guess that your physical therapist and doctor would say time to just start using it and let's just see what happens Yeah, or, or get it surgically repaired, you know? Last question. This is about forearm pain. So I have awful pain in my right forearm on top from the joint down to my wrist. I'm guessing they mean elbow joint didn't specify. Yeah. Uh, it's not muscle pain. When I grasp anything, it's painful. When I try to lift anything is excruciating. Even when I go move my arm at night, 
and I'm turning over in bed. It's painful. Any idea what could be wrong with my arm? Yeah. So uh, this is a great question. So uh, in the in the forearm, we have deep rotators, uh, pronators, pronator teres, and a pronator quadratus, and then we have a uh, supinator muscle too. And what these muscles do is they control the hand moving, you know, palm down to palm up. And so what I have found is that, and, and you'll notice that when, when this hand is moving, say to palm down, you see how this bone is rotating at the elbow joint. And then when I go palm up, it rotates like that. So this radius is rotating kind of over the ulna. And this is where the problem occurs for most people with elbow pain is that the rotation, there's a, there's a ligament that's holding that radius in place. Um, is it the conoid ligament? Uh, excuse me. I can't remember the exact name of the ligament if it's not the conoid. Yeah, radial annular ligament. That may be it. That may be it. The annular ligament. Annual ulnar. ligament. That's what no, it is. Otherwise, ulnar collateral ligament or this. No, I, I'm pretty sure it's the annual ligament. But anyway, if that ligament is damaged in any reason, for any reason, then the radial head is not tracking correctly. So that would be one thing to determine if that's happening. The second thing is, I mentioned this is because uh, these rotator muscles often become tight, especially if we do a lot of hands, palms down work. What happens is these, this is called pronation. The pronator muscles then become excessively tight. And what happens is they don't do well to unlock again to allow supination. So I have found that stretching the pronator muscles into supination often solves a lot of tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, and other types of strange elbow and forearm pain because now the whole system can move more how it's designed to move, okay? Now, if we go up the chain a little bit, let's say what if the arm bone is rotated in too much already and that's setting the elbow up to fail? Well, why would the arm bone be rotated in too much? Perhaps a tight chest muscle, tight latissimus dorsi muscle that, that attaches from behind. Both of those are big, powerful internal rotators. And so those being stretched out would allow more freedom in the upper arm bone to then rotate more freely, which then establishes a better environment for the elbow bones to, to work more freely. So that those would be things I would look at. So the other thing is uh, a lot of people work with a mouse. And what I have found is if that mouse is further away or out to the side from you, then you're activating these upper forearm bones and your neck muscles and your shoulder muscles to control that mouse. So if you work with a mouse, try this little experiment. Bring the mouse into your body and actually scoot your keyboard over a little bit to put the mouse more in the center. So you're not reaching for it at all and your arm is completely relaxed while you're using it. I once saw the guy's 20 years of neck pain by simply moving his mouse closer to his body and his arm was no longer holding, his neck was no longer holding his arm up to do this mouse work, gone in like a couple of days. And this is how the body reacts. When you find the right solution, the, the body reacts very rapidly. It heals very, very quickly. Then the last thing I would say is um, a lot of uh, ergonomically, a lot of chairs at work don't uh, fit our bodies. The elbow, when we're working, the elbow should be at the seam of our shirt on the side. And it should be supported so it's resting perhaps maybe a quarter to a half inch higher than what we think it should be. And where my hand is right now is where my keyboard or mouse should be. If my keyboard is not here or my mouse is not here, 
then I've got to make changes to my ergonomics uh, setup so that they are here. Because the moment I start to move my arm forward, I've lost all the support of the arm of my chair. And I'm now using form extensors, shoulder muscles, neck muscles to hold this whole system up. What's the best way? Most chairs, even the best ergonomic chairs, can't be situated correctly for everyone. So what I ask a lot of people to do is bring pillows in from home, fold them in half and stuff them between your body and the arm of the chair. Now you've got a big broad surface to let, uh, rest your elbow on. And it usually is a little bit higher than the arm of your chair already. I mean, and a lot of people aren't even using arms on their chairs. Well, first of all, get an arm on your chair <laughs> and then stuff that pillow in there and start using it because that could be the stressor that's stressing this whole system for you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. Where can people find more information about you at? Uh, they, if they go to rickolderman.com, uh, I have lots of free stuff there. I have some uh, blogs. I have all my home programs, my practitioner training program. And you, there's a contact form there, of course, for me. Uh, that you can use to, con to reach out if you like. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me.